Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elissa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's crossover episode with Real Trending features some insightful information from Real Trends advisor Steve Murray as he discusses issues facing private property rights, ways to connect with long-term remote workers, and factors that could slow down the housing market in the next couple of months. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. TMS helps grow business for your customers, allowing you to do what you do best, continuing to build a business with raving fans. We believe that a happy customer is a referral and a customer for life. TMS is committed to building your brand through subservicing. Learn more today at subservicing.themoneysource.com. Hi, this is Steve Murray for Real Trends and HW Media. Uh, Three interesting topics today on my podcast. First, what will separate us from each other and how leadership and management will be severely tested in the months ahead? Secondly, are there global trends now that property rights will be expropriated? And last, what are the factors that could cause the housing market to slow? First, what will separate us? A story from a friend in the industry a long time ago, a guy named Lorne Wallace, founder of Lone Wolf, he made the observation many years ago to me that the first thing that started separating neighbors was the invention of the garage door opener. Because once people could push a button to raise their garage door, drive their cars in, put the door down, and they went in their house, was the time when people stopped getting out of their cars to open the garage door where they might encounter a neighbor next door, which might lead to a conversation, which might lead to people getting together. It's a funny kind of story, but indicative of the things that change with society that may cause us to be separated from each other. Now we flash forward to the fall of 2021, the resurgence of COVID, driving people back to their houses and driving people to not want to congregate and not want to be together. But even more importantly, talking with leaders from all facets of our industry, I'm hearing more and more that leaders and managers are struggling with how to manage employees who for months and months maybe even a year, had worked remotely. And now, to some extent, people want to have their teams back together, working together, socializing together, interacting personally with each other. But there's a great deal of struggle going on between employers, not just in the residential real estate industry, but in all industries, of how to balance bringing people back versus those people who have proven they can do the work and be productive and be remote. There's nothing in the leadership or management playbook 
that we've heard about or seen evidence of that instructs leaders, how do you manage long-term remote workers, especially if it's a majority of your workforce, whether they're accounting or marketing or relocation or training or any number of other critical positions in a brokerage company or mortgage, title, and other industries, how do we as leaders and managers overcome the lack of experience and knowledge of how to manage remote workers over a long, potentially forever period of time? And further, how do we grade their performance? How do we mix and match our leadership skills with those people who are in the office with those who don't want to come back or who aren't over a long period of time? How do we grade people's skills for rank advancement within the organization? From Patrick Lencioni, we know that Ideal Team Player tells us that humble, hungry, and people smart are critical ingredients to a great team. But how do we grade whether our employees are people smart if they never or infrequently interact with other people who are part of the team, except on phone calls, conference calls, or Zoom calls? So there's a big challenge now ahead of leaders in our industry of how they manage disparate workforce, some who are remote, some who are part-time remote, and those who are present in a physical facility. How do we balance our ability to grade their performance? But most importantly, how do we get the benefit of the socialization that comes and the important strengthening of people when they're no longer together and the increasing incidents that we hear from leaders of a sense of isolation among remote workers. It is a big challenge. It is not going away anytime soon, if forever. Secondly, will property rights be expropriated? Article recently in the Wall Street Journal pointed out in Germany, citizens in Berlin are going to the polls to expropriate landlords from rental properties, particularly those who own large numbers, because of rapidly rising rents. And while they indicated that the ballot is not binding, it will instruct the political leadership as to what they should do about this problem. On top of the problem, they said they may try to appropriate it or expropriate the property from large landlords of rental buildings, but the cost of doing so is in the tens and tens and tens of billions of dollars. And we may think in the United States, due to the, among other things, the strength of National Association of Realtors and their state and local chapters to protect private property rights over the last 15 to 16 months, we saw how rapidly private property rights can be expropriated. When the federal government suddenly decided that no renters could be evicted for any reason during COVID. Now, we're not here to argue whether that was a good decision or not. For the public health, it may well have been. But it went without 
almost any comment at all that the federal government appropriated the property rights of tens of millions of landlords of apartment buildings. And everybody thinks maybe, oh, well, those are just big investors owning multifamily. Well, as our own research has shown in past years, there are as many as 20 million one-to-four family units owned by private investors, people like those listening to this podcast. And yet there was almost no comment when the federal government, our government, the American government, appropriated the property rights of 8 to 10 to 12 million landlords in this country. Whether it was a good idea or not, the fact that the federal government could simply cancel property rights of people who invested a lot of money and a lot of people who had a lot of mortgage debt against those properties were suddenly faced with the loss of their income. Now comes the new tax plan being proposed in Washington, D.C. We're not necessarily talking about appropriating rights, but with the potential increase in capital gains rates, both for those people who are just buying and selling property, not to mention stocks and bonds, but now to lower the threshold for taxable estates, it could mean significant impact and have significant impact on the value of people's properties. Now, no one, not least me, is suggesting that the federal or state governments are expropriating or appropriating property rights from people, but in a manner of speaking, when you raise the cost of owning property and lower the after-tax returns on the ownership and enjoyment of income-producing property, in fact, you have taken some property rights away. I think at this point, all real estate practitioners, all real estate professionals, and all of our organizations need to keep a close eye on legislation coming out of the nation's capital and various state and local governments that will cause a diminution of the enjoyment of private property rights. What happened in Berlin just recently is just a sample of what could be coming in our country almost unheard of to think that someone could say, we're not going to allow you to raise rents anymore. But then that already goes on in multiple major cities around the country with rent control, doesn't it? Lastly, people talk all the time now to us and others about when does this housing market slow down? Now, people listening have to understand Everybody who thinks the housing market is going to slow down, it's simply because we've been around a long time and housing markets, like all others, always slow down. They always turn and go in a different direction from the kind of strength the housing sales market has had in the last 18 months or so. Now, we can explain this explosion in housing sales record low mortgage rates, unlimited demographic household growth and demand, lack of inventory, 
inability of the United States system to build homes at a pace equal to the formation of households, capital gains treatment of housing sales. There are all kinds of positive factors. The impact of COVID and people being able to separate where they live from where they work, all these factors contributed to the bulge. Some of that will now calm down. The remote working environment, as we chatted about earlier, it's probably going to slow down. Maybe, perhaps, the people that were going to move have moved. But that's not entirely true from everything else we read. Companies are still adjusting to how they're going to have remote workforces. And people will be able to live in Boise from a company headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, if they choose, and so on and so forth. But the question does come down, what will cause the housing market to slow? Clearly, a slowdown in the general economy will ultimately impact the housing market. If inflation continues at 55 to 6%, as it has the past several months, Ultimately, the Federal Reserve Board will have to raise rates to cool the economy off, and that will have a dampening effect. But the one thing we've observed and heard from a lot of housing market experts is the one factor that may slow this down, in fact, is that the price and cost of home ownership is finally priced out of the, the reach of far too many families. And I would have to agree with that. It doesn't mean the housing market tumbles as it did back in 06, 07, and 08, or even back in 1989 to 1991, when we saw declines of 10, 12, 15, 20, 25% unit sales. But it could well mean we'll see a cooling off while the price is reset to household incomes. Then again, as others have commented, and we've read several of those comments and heard from others, just like COVID would be considered a black swan event, there could be other events that we don't even see on the horizon that could dent this rapidly growing housing market. This has been Steve Murray for Real Trends and HW Media. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingware.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.